guys, what's your personal limit for tech in D&D? Like, at what point is too, is technology too much technology? You have to be able to explain it. It doesn't matter if it's a good explanation or a bad explanation, but it has to make sense. Uh, I think we're probably going to get into a little bit of that with Eberron. Yeah. Because they infuse elementals into binding rings. Uh, and you know what? I'm okay with that. That makes sense to me. You have an air elemental, you get it into this binding ring, you use your magic to bind it to a ship, now it's an airship. I like that. That's cool. That's neat. Um, my limit is modern. Um, I like steampunk. Um, I like uh, early industrialism kind of stuff, like coal-powered stuff I'm, I'm, I'm on board with. Um Guns are blunderbusses. Guns are muskets. Uh, guns are creations all of their own, right? I'm okay with steampunk in my day-to-day D&D game. Um, but you start going a little bit too far into the modern, like having multiple clips. Like if, if you have a if you have a multiple multiple shot gun, it's because it has multiple barrels. Not because you have a magazine to reload it. Oh my god! I just had this really cool idea about a a, a, a freaking turret, a gun turret, right? That is just boom, 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 and it's firing, but it's not actually doing that. What it's doing is opening up little portals to a pocket dimension, which is then just placing the bullet inside of you. And so it is just like you point at a target, and somewhere within six inches of where the little the little laser pointer dot is, it, you just teleport something from this pocket dimension. You can put whatever you want in the pocket dimension. So bang, there's a jaguar on your chest, right? Boom, there's a cannonball like coming out of the, out of your ear, like just boop, 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 and just like fucking random shit hitting just out of nowhere. Do not like. You don't like that? No, because I'm a player, and ouch. As a DM, that sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah. No. But as a player. No, well, but but I mean that's my answer. I want magical level tech. Yes, right. Which is what Dave said. I think. Yeah, yeah right. it's got to have an element of magic going in. Or, or I'm going to craft chainsaws. Magic. You know, no. Even even like uh, mundane in quotations constructs in a Dungeons and in a Dungeons and Dragons game should be fantastical. I don't necessarily think that everything, all technology, has to be magical. It at least has to be fantastical. Like, like, like cogwork dragons and shit like yeah, that. Yeah, right? Like uh, you have tin soldiers uh, who you wind up, you know, nutcracker style and send them out to fight. Right? Like I like that. Um, Warforged have always kind of just stepped over that line for me. Or a fight, Dan. So, so, no, hold on. So, <laughs> so I guess the point is pre-computer. Yes, for you. That's that's the big thing. The moment the computer chip is invented, you're not interested in that in a uh, D&D setting. The second things get a bit too refined. Like, even elven technology, um, which is a bit of a misnomer for me because elves are all about magic. Even elven technology should be a little rudimentary mm-hmm. in a D&D game. No, look, okay, so I'm absolutely 100% with you as far as the, the fantastical nature of it. I just think that... I, yeah, I, I don't want I don't want microwaves. Mm-hmm. I don't want radiation. I can have... I Look, I can have radiation, but that's be a magical radiation or a cloud of sentient, you, you know, radiant energy, right? Like, I don't want there to be nuclear fallout. Yep. I'm, I, I don't want a plane... But I'm okay with, like, a Da Vinci-level flying machine. 
a glider almost or a glider yeah. yeah yeah or blimps i'm ha- i'm happy with i could see gnomes hanging out in freaking hot air balloons and i'm okay with that mm mm-hmm. But but you're right. I think that I can see goblins sitting there winding, much like the Nutcracker will turn in the key, right? But they're turning the propeller, but they're just winding up. There's an elastic band inside. And at some point, the like the tension's going to run out, and it becomes a glider. And if you don't twist it enough times, it just kind of goes forward and then stops. But if you turn it enough times, and then they pull on the pull the lever, poof, off they go up into the so uh, cool. You're talking about a goblin that rides a glider. Yeah. Is he green? Does he throw pumpkin bombs? A one hundred percent yes. Yes, all yes. right. <laughs> Anyways, uh, <laughs> and his redskin militaristic friend goes along with him on a different one. <laughs> uh, he's a hobgoblin. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I got uh, it, Dan. Thank you. Fuck. Welcome to It's a Mimic with your DMs, Adam, Dan, and Dave. Welcome to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, the roundtable Dungeons and Dragons discussion where you never know what you're going to get. I'm Adam, and with me are Dan and Dave, and today we're talking about Eberron. <laughs> but not just regular Eberron, um, like the, this is not just a book review, right? This is, and it, we're not really getting into the 3.5 um, history of Eberron because the interesting thing about it is they, it's still set in the same time period. It's not like other versions of D&D where there was a spell plague or the, the world tree was destroyed and so we get a new ed- edition of it, right? For Eberron, it's the same setting. It's still the same amount of time since the last war. Uh, Warforged are still new to the scene. There are people that are alive that remember time before Warforged existed. There are a number of uh, differences in the 5th ed version of Eberron. We're going to talk about some of them today. Not all of them because the book is dense. I have been reading it for six weeks and it is impossible to get through. Uh, there are so many ideas. Mm-hmm. And it, it's this is not a bad thing. I, can, I literally handed the book to Dan a while back and said, open it to any page and you will find a really cool idea. And he did, and it was amazing. Right? There are so many fantastic ideas. And it's like every page has, has six or seven almost plot hooks on each one. Right? You can flip it open to the, the, the Kalistar. And just, and I can build a campaign around the info that they have in this book. Yeah. It's 320 pages. It's probably my favorite of all of the books. But we're not going to go kind of chapter by chapter, work our way through. This is kind of the broad strokes why you should play Eberron and what you can use it for. Um, I have a question. Yes. Right off the bat. Um, the reasoning for things like the spell plague and, and the, the, jumps in time between the uh, editions is to justify why all of a sudden the rules, the mechanics of the game are different with a lore reason. Yep. So the spell plague happened, so that's why everyone has encounter powers, right? That kind of stuff happened. Do they justify that with the Eberron at all, or they just go, no, this is the way it's always been, wave your hand, Jedi hand fingers. Like, what? Like No, 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 this is just... So this book is Eberron. You have played in Forgotten Realms. Have you tried Eberron? This is 5th edition's version of that. Okay. And that's it. It is just, this is an updated rule set and updated lore, but it's not, it's a rewrite. Okay. So there are things that have happened in the previous, um, uh, previous editions worth of Eberron that have still happened, but because they happened in this edition as well. Okay. Cool. All right. So this is a reboot of of the campaign setting. Yep. 
So, um, anyway, the first thing that I want to go over really quickly, and I'm going to do a moment of reading here because I think it's absolutely amazing and it sets the tone um, kind of for the high adventure, if not high fantasy level of Eberron. So there's one, like, excerpt that I want to read right out of the book because I think it's freaking amazing. Okay, cool. Um, Every child knows the story of the progenitor dragons, Sybaris, Eberron, and Kyber. In the dawn of time, these three cosmic beings created 13 planes of existence, each embodying a concept. Their final work was the material plane, where all ideas would become manifest, a realm that could know war and peace, life and death, order and chaos, but cruel Kyber sought ultimate dominion over this new reality. She struck Sybaris without warning and tore him apart. Eberron wrestled with Kyber and bound the traitor in her coils, but could not defeat her. So, Eberron became a living prison. A world that would forever contain Kyber's evil. That is the creation myth of this realm. So Eberron's a, a, a god dragon prison. Yeah. Cool. You are in in you are living on one dragon that is holding another dragon captive, right? And the idea of good and evil is is really boiled down to that origin story. This also is going to give us things like Dragon Shards and Dragon Marks, which we're going to talk about in a mm-hmm. little bit. But my favorite thing about Eberron, everyone always says Eberron is the D&D steampunk um, it, like encounter the, the campaign setting. But it isn't just that. That is just kind of surface level what it is. This is high fantasy crazy like pulp adventures that happen here. This is... Rising from the Last War is not like Rising from the Previous War. No, no, it's called The Last War, capital L, capital W, the way that World War I is called The Great War. Mm -hmm. And this really does feel like it takes place in the 1920s, 1930s. There's espionage, there's industry, there is kind of a a budding sense of of new technology. It's still got a magic bend to it. It's not... Like the Fox sisters could still exist, but it, it's definitely going through and, and showing new technology as well. Yeah, like it's not real steampunk. And while you can have those those elements present in it, if you're inspired from another setting, that's not what this what this book or, or Fifth Ed's version of Eberron is. Fifth Ed's version of Eberron is airships and and lightning monorails that have harnessed of elementals like that that force and they're, they're not just harnessed they're forced to uh, create this travel and there's more of the sky coaches and there's all sorts of things yeah, there's submarines there's all sorts of stuff yeah right but it's it's got the technological level of like the periscope is still mirrors mm-hmm. it's not a camera and a screen right so um it's very early indiana jones um, kind of of crazy pulp, not Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, where they're in the Cold War, but the early stuff, the like pre World War II stuff, yeah, where the Nazis are getting ramped up and ready to go. And there's that kind of world tension of, hey, this war has ended, the entire world's been affected by this war, and we're all dealing with the fallout of it. There are refugees everywhere, and nobody really knows their place anymore. And there's a brand new race that exists, right? Because of this, everybody's trying to find and, and make their own new home, and by the way, dinosaurs are a major factor. There are volcanoes blowing up left, right, and center. There's an entire section of a continent that is just no one who ever goes in comes out, and it is mystery, right? Like, there are some really high adventure concepts here. And the thing about Eberron is it's no, it's not like D&D where you leave the tavern or the castle and you get on your horse and you ride to the adventure. 
In this one, you take the lightning rail that you have a fight on top of is through the tunnels and you're ducking and doing skill challenges during the fight. And it pulls over directly in front of the massive graveyard that the necromancer is like. It's, it's action, 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 action the whole way. Even when it's espionage or role playing or, or, um, uh, the, the like exploration side of it, it's high adrenaline. And that's the really cool thing that Eberron offers that really no other setting, campaign setting, especially fifth edition, has given us so far. There's very little downtime in an Eberron campaign, just based on the flavor of what you're reading. But it's not just it's not just wilderness and crazy far-off adventures. There's that, but there's also cities and nobility where traditional alignments are now cast aside. You could have a place that or you could have a a cobalt that is lawful good. Mm-hmm. You could have a celestial that is neutral evil, right? All of that stuff, um, the the alignment based way of thinking in Dungeons and Dragons does not apply to Eberron. Eberron is much like like my own homebrew world where every race can be anything. It's it's about how you were brought up and what your influences are, mm-hmm. right? Um, it it's also a place that's steeped in in noir. And mistrust, and everybody's got a really long memory about what happened before the war, what life was like before the war, what happened during the war, and whose fault it is. Yeah. And while we have peace now, we don't really. Shit's coming back round, yeah. and there's a lot of of institutions that are um, kind of gearing up to get things started. And it's it's a silent arms race, and you're trying to find figure out the secrets of the other people. So yeah, there's different organizations. There's the Emerald Claw that works for you know one of the kingdoms on the main continent. There's the Black Lanterns who work out of Sharn. You know, there's all these different. They're not Green Lanterns. Dan, calm down. So <laughs> I got excited for a minute. Yeah, no, but but you're right. There are and there's tons of them, and the book is chock full of them as well. Cool. Um, there are echoes of the last war in absolutely everything. So the original, the last kingdom before the war was five nations, and now it's been split into 12. And there are specific details for each of these new regions and, and smaller kingdoms in the book. Uh, most of the new nations are biding their time, preparing for the next war that seems to be bubbling beneath the surface. There are also more areas beyond just the basic nations. I'm not going to go through the long-ass list of them, and there's an arm's length worth of shit there. But here are the ones that really, like, made me stop and go, ooh, I want to read more about that. Yeah. The Mornland, the Demon Wastes, the Shadow Marches, Thronehold, and then they have Distant Lands, which include North and South Poles, and Dave's favorite, Zendrick. Who, and he always pronounces it wrong. How do you pronounce Zendrick, Dave? Zendrix? Zendrick. Zendrix. Okay. So there's only one. It's a Zendrick. That's a silence. <laughs> it silences. Yes. <laughs> uh, and, and Zendrick is is the continent that was giants. Yeah, it's the ancient, think large, giant-sized Mayan ruins kind of level. Is that where all the dinosaurs roam kind of deal? or Not, I, not necessarily. I know very little about Eberron. No, yeah, it's not like that at all. Like, there are some, definitely. But dinosaurs are everywhere in Eberron. It is kind of the dinosaur. It, it, it's funny. There would be more opportunity for them to thrive there as it's kind of an untouched... It's a wild lands. Uh, it's the continent that was forgotten. You know, the, the, the main continent, Corvair, they send people over to Zendrix. 
to uh, try to find the secrets of the past. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay, so Corvair has a rich history, okay? And it includes... Um, I like... the My favorite thing about Corvair is that the ancient history, the story of it, is it was run by the Goblinoid races. The Goblinoid Empire ran this this place and kind of and did a pretty decent job until the aberrations came forward mind flayers and beholders and there was an alien invasion that wrought the goblinoids low mm-hmm. and they are consistently fighting so there's a lot of aberrations a lot and they've got weird ones too including a lot of detail about the uh, the plane of dreams Oh, cool. And creatures from the plane of dreams and what happens when they possess you. So, like, there's some rich stuff in here. Plus dinosaurs. Plus steampunk, right? Like, and, and it just keeps getting weirder and and, and more interesting. Um, the center of the civilization is Sharn. This is the City of Towers. The City of Towers is not a metropolis. It's a megaopolis. This thing is so huge that it dwarfs everything even i think it's even bigger than ravnica um which is essentially just a city state like it's this thing is massive to the point where they break it down not only by district but by height levels of the city well it's the city of towers right yeah and when you when you think of the city of towers don't just think of skyscrapers like new york city these are different towers from different ages that have been um, packed in closely together and there are consistent like walkways from one to another. They've got rules on how to fall from the higher levels to the lower levels and you're rolling a random table to see what the fuck you hit on the way down because there's a bunch of shit. <laughs> it's not if you do, it's when you do. Yeah, But it's even more than that. They've got multiple layers of underground as well. Oh yeah. If you want to get into the sewers, there's a whole society that lives underground in Sharn. Yeah, cool. and, and it lays it again, it lays it all out in the book I could do an entire episode on the underground dwellers of Sharn. So I'm just trying to like, we're just hitting the broad strokes on this one for the most part, guys. Um, like any major city, it really does have its CD underbelly. Dave is 100% right. Now, Dave is a resident expert on Eberron. Um, I know this book pretty well, um, but but Dave knows Eberron and like the history of it. And there was a ton of info on it. Well, for how long the, was your... 3.5. Yeah, there was. And that's where my knowledge base for Eberron sort of comes from. Our My, my gaming group, we kind of turned that snooty, our snooty noses at Eberron for a very long time because um, our opinion in our group was there ain't no guns in our fantasy. I never used guns in Eberron. Right? No, yeah, no, me neither. Um, but every instance we ever saw back in the day was that. And since then, I have grown older and I have grown wiser in the ways of and the joys of steampunk in my games. Now, all of my characters are tinkerers. It's my new thing. I love the fact that, like, tinkering's gnomes, a thing. Gnomes, fuck your goddamn. Not just gnomes, man. Like, um, I have been sitting on a character concept of a mark of finding, um, half orc, because that they have to be mark of finding, uh, artificer for months. And I just cannot wait for the opportunity to play him. Right. But, um, how long was your group, Dave, in, in like gallivanting along, what is it? Cor, Cor, Corvair. 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 I, I keep on saying, almost saying Cormier, and I'm like, that's not it. That's something else with purple bad classes. So. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the world is Eberron, okay? There's four major continents 
There's Corvair, which is where Sharn and the Moorland and everything are. And it's where there's, 90% of adventures yeah, yeah, that, take that's place. Where the last 100% was. start there. 90% never leave Corvair. Yeah. Then you've got Zendrix. I'm going to keep Zendrick, going. goddamn Dave. Uh, Argonison, which is kind of like the dragon continent. Are there multiple S's in that too, or is it just like Argonson? I'm not even acknowledging you. <laughs> okay. Uh, and another one, which I don't think I ever really played too much with. Uh, I'm not exactly 100% sure. Well, uh, look, I, I'm sitting here looking at it, and it is a freaking buttload of them. There's uh, On Dare, which is a big one. Uh, Brayland is a big one. Breland is part of Corvair. The, the, you're... Corvair is so big, it's got so many different parts yeah, it, to it. it. It's more than just... There's the Eldine Reaches, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, the Demon Wastes are part Shadow of Shadow Marches are as well. Yeah, yeah like Thrain it's... is a huge factor in it. And, to, and these are all countries within the continent, and they all have uh, political perspectives on the other ones. This is a rich history to play in. Cool. You know that DM that sits down and gets obsessive for 10 years building their campaign setting and then says, okay, here it is, let's play, but you don't really know the rules of it because there was no session zero and you're just kind of like stumbling around going, all right, I'm going to pull out my wand of magic missile. He goes, no, no, the, every wand of magic missile is a rod and it has purple sparks that fly from, right? And they've all got these fucking weird rules. That is what Eberron literally fucking is. This was a fan fiction. Yeah, didn't they hold a contest? They held a contest. Wizards held a for contest. For a new campaign setting, and this one... Oh, won. really? Yeah, that's where Eberron comes so. from. Oh, cool. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Also, I have met that DM, and I know him well. What's up, Dan? How you doing? Yeah. So, so th- this, this... I want to use this wand of magic missile. doesn't work like that, Dan. It's a wand of magic missile, Adam. Damn it. But... The way that... The fifth edition has really given us uh, Taldore... As a campaign setting, because that's what Matt Mercer has done. Yeah. And then Wizards have kind of adopted that for for themselves. We have a lot of third-party publications, but they're monster manuals, essentially, or new rule sets for... I mean, Matt Coville's Strongholds of Followers. But the only really new campaign setting that we have uh, is Tal'Dorei. Uh, well, Exandria, which is Tal'Dorei and Wildmount together. R- okay, yeah. sure. Um, did you hear that they're actually going to be releasing a Wild Mountain Wild book? book? Oh, I'm super jazzed for it. They um, have like, I was reading one of the articles, is like 12 not so uh, harmful cults of Wild Mount, And there's one that's just like, oh, there's a cult that follows around this um, weird creature that cuts ankles. That's horrifying. That's all it does. That's horrifying. Leaves uh, little black feathers around. That's weird. Anyway, look, so... So the point is though that Eberron is is kind of 3.5's version of of Tal'Dorei as far as a unique fan-made campaign set. Mm-hmm. Um, a, another detail that's really overlooked um, is that all of the languages are in Eberron are not the way that you would expect that they would be. Elvin, you can have elves that don't know Elven, and you can have gnomes that don't know gnomish. Be- weird because there's going to be an elf homeland so anyone that grew up in this region knows that language but if for if you grew up in another region if you were an elf from another uh, country or another continent you won't know the inherent elf language because you moved away much the way it is in the real world you could be born in japan 
Um, or, or if you are of Japanese ancestry, but you are born in New York, you may not know how to speak Japanese, mm-hmm. right? So there's that real feel to it, in, and they get into it. Where are the different languages, and how can you find them? So that you can look at a map and say, hey, we're going to this country. Who speaks this? We need to hire a translator, right? And um, I just I thought that that was a really cool, interesting thing that has never occurred to me before. That you would just remove the native speaking language thing that's just like, everyone from this race can do this. Mm-hmm. And have it kind of mean more in the world. Um, there are a bunch of different faiths in Eberron as well. Um, and they've got some pretty freaking crazy names. You know, like I picked up some of the location names. That They're like the Dark Six and the Cult of the Dragon Below. Um, I'm assuming that would be Kyber. Yeah. Yeah. Um, spirits of the past, uh, and there's the Undying Court. Dave, do you know anything about the Undying Court? Not really. No. No, that's one of Eberron is so big that you can play multiple campaigns in Eberron and never touch entire swaths of it. Mm-hmm. So um, the Undying Court is essentially the undead judgment. Okay. So like it's it pretty much what it sounds like. Well, uh, wasn't there one of the organizations? It might have been the Emerald Claw. Ended up locking the undead underground and then disbanded, but there was still a few faithful followers that now kind of run around doing Emerald Claw things. But Interestingly, now I have read through this book a couple of times and I get very distracted by some ideas and I have missed entire portions of things. There's always something new to, to find out in this. But interestingly, the Emerald Claw does is not the thing that it was in the previous editions. I'm not surprised. So, yeah, it was it was a major faction back then. Mm-hmm. And they've kind of spread out, they spread the level around a little bit more. But the point is that this is a high stakes, high magic, high society. It's got rumblings of spies. It has sabotage. Even though um, Sharn, the capital city of of, um, of Eberron, really, I mean, it's of, of Corvair, right? But e- even though that there was no direct battle that happened in it, there was still terrorism that happened. There were still explosions. And and uh, one of the, the big towers, it was the Tower of Glass, fell. And now that district is called the Fallen, right? And people haven't gotten over the fact that there have been these horrible acts that have happened all over. And there's distrust everywhere, mm-hmm. especially considering some of the races, which we'll get into in a moment, and how strange and different and full of mistrust that they can lend. But um, there are there's magical tech, and there's, there's some new twists on some old rules as well. Um, and one of those things is, uh, is Dragon Marks, which we're going to talk about after the commercial break. But so far... What is it about Eberron that, that, that like, this is the big question. Of all the things that I've talked about so far, what's the thing that makes you go, oh, shit, no, I'd, I'd play in that. Are we rolling dice for this? Yeah, we're going to roll dice. I'm going to go last. I got a 13. I Dave, got a 15. Why do you like Eberron? Uh, I love Warforged. Uh, that's the big thing that keeps yeah. you coming back. Yeah, that's we're going to That's the fight. one thing that... Oh, that's the reason that we always opened up Eberron when we were playing 3.5 uh, was because it was a popular race amongst my players. There's so much ambiguity to them. You, like, they were created in forges, you know. They were, oh, in their lore, not just their mechanics, because there's a lot of ambiguity in... Yeah, there is. No, there was. Calm down, we'll go over it. 
Okay. Um, but, I mean, the idea of having the forges that made them come to life, it, it was an interesting idea. I did a campaign one time where the idea was that these guys had to travel into the Mornland, and in order to get there, they ended up having to imbue themselves into war-forged bodies just so they could survive. Now, I don't think we ever got that far. But, uh, I mean, it was an interesting spin. That's a really cool plot. I like that. The, the, the idea of the Mornland, too, is that it used to be, like, there was there were cities. This was a, a small country. And, and like, there, there's this region. And then, and this is where the, the forges, the Warforged forges were. That were controlled by a single uh, noble house. And all, all of a sudden, one day, there was a calamity of sorts. And nobody to this day knows why, but everybody in this region died. And you cannot live in there. The The air is toxic. Nothing grows. And yet, things move in the mists. And that the book doesn't give you answers. That is not like a plot hook for players. That's a plot hook for DMs. And that's why I really like this book. Anyway, like, so your answer, Dave, was, was Warforged? That's- it, it, it's more than that. It's, it's the ambiguity of why it is the way it is. There's so much to it. Like you, like you said, you can pick any page, and there's like six ideas going on on each one. Yeah. Uh, the the espionage, which you brought up briefly. Yeah. Uh, there and, are, and I skimmed a massive portion of this. Uh, I might be jumping ahead a little bit, but there's the dragon marked houses. I mean, there's the house that deals with healing. There's the house that deals with uh, secure communication. There's the banking house. And all of these houses are vying for power. They've all got their own tower in the city of towers in Sharn. But they all get along, but they don't at the same time. They're all stabbing each other in the back. Very Cold War, Cold War-esque. Yeah, it's, but, it's but, interesting. There's, there's so much to sink your teeth into. And you can throw out little hooks here and there, and whatever your players bite into... You can really go with it because there's just so much to yeah, it. There's a lot to build a character it, off of as well. It's with. a political cool realm as well. So, okay, so the thing that drags me to Eberron more than anything else, the thing that I absolutely freaking love about it is the idea that you are mashing genres together. And normally when that happens and someone just hand waves it with, Magic. A wizard did it. Don't think about it. I groan and roll my eyes, right? Give me more than that. But the idea that magic is the thing behind all of the tech. Magic is the thing behind um, all of these societies. And because of the dragon marks as well. And the, the, the noble houses. Magic is so ingrained in this world in a very unique and different way. We're not really dealing with the weave so much um, anymore in, in this incarnation mm-hmm. of, of D&D. And yet it fits so nicely, better than any other uh, genre-bending um, campaign setting. This, and honestly, if I if I can really be honest, uh, Ravnica was a freaking amazing read as well. Cool. If you guys haven't had the opportunity to pick up Ravnica and go through it, there is a butt-ton of shit in there for you to read. Yes, a butt-ton of shit, Dan. I said that. There's Thank so you. much lore to Magic the Gathering, which is yeah. where Ravnica comes from. Right? Yeah. Like, it goes back... Decades. E- eons, you yeah. know, like, in the world itself. And Well, what, what's interesting to me is that in 5th edition, they released the Player's Handbook. I mean, there's a starter set, but essentially it was the Player's Handbook, the Dungeon Master's Guide, and the Monster's Manual. And while we've had Volos and Mordenkainen's as well that have kind of fleshed out... And both of them fleshed out not just monsters, but also kind of DM lore that, that they would need as well. Everything else was an adventure setting. You... 
you pick up this this campaign you'll get from this level to this level and follow this path. Mm-hmm. Some of them are more linear than others, but there is definitely a story to be told here. Here are the characters. This is what it is. Except they also release a Sword Coast uh, Adventures Guide, which is really thin and really small and doesn't... It didn't give me everything I wanted for a Forgotten Realms book. It almost, it was, it, it almost feels like it was a market tester book, right? We're, yeah. Let's see how they take this. We'll give them something small, and then if they like this, maybe we'll do something else. And and I don't think people liked it, because then nothing happened. Yeah. And it was the only thing that was a campaign setting that wasn't a rules breakdown or a monster manual, right? Um, so I'm like, what... what we need something else. And I missed that because there was a bunch of those books, even in, in fourth edition and 3.5, they had a lot of books, which are just learn the world. We'll check out how cool this is. And, uh, and we used to have magazines about this stuff too, that would flush out bits and pieces. And then all kind of went by the wayside and then Ravnica and now Eberron and the Taldore, uh, Taldore, uh, campaign setting. These books are rich with lore, and they're easy to mash together and mm-hmm. use bits and pieces of. And honestly, I was a little lukewarm on Descent into uh, Avernus. I am in love with the Eberron book. I can't say enough good things about it. And the same thing about Ravnica, too. But um, anyways, Dan, what's, what's the thing for you? For me, it's the 1920s feel. I, I love that uh, the noir, the film noir, the oh, the, the noir, the um, the pulp feel. I I love that. Um, I call it Cthulhu. One what? of the, one of the things that we didn't touch on is the fact that like literally throughout this book here, I'll, I'll see if I can just randomly flip to a page. Here we go. They have from the the Korenberg Chronicle. They, they've got like they've a, got clippings. They've got newspaper clippings in the thrall of the vampire king, right? I love the idea of you can get renowned by just getting to the front page yep. of a newspaper in this. Or, you, hey, we don't have an adventure to go on. What quest? And then the DM just hands you a classified section. What are you answering? Exactly, <laughs> right? Um, I, 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 I really, really love that. Like, I, I've mentioned before on the podcast, I love my high fantasy. I love traditional, like, knights and dragons and, and, and wizards. Like, I love the high fantasy. And I love the futuristic fantasy of, like, Shadowrun, where it's still... Knights and dragons and, uh, you know, wizards. But your knights are street samurai and your dragons are CEOs and your wizards are technomancers. I love that. But there's always this weird gap in between of industry. I love this in- industrial kind of this, steam. And this coal feels like the industrial revolution kind of thing. But instead of it being dirty coal... It's magic. It's magic, right? And it's and it's dirty magic as well. Like yeah, there's 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 that you read the book and the world becomes sepia, right? Like I I love that about Eberron. And and if if I'm running a campaign in Eberron, I'm playing into the pulp. I'm playing it like there are femme fatales. There are you know detectives with vices who have issues. Uh, and but you know. Have their heart of gold that are going to solve this crime at the end of the day, right? Um, if I want to insert Dresden into a campaign, I'm not putting it into Shadowrun. I'm not putting him into High Fantasy. I'm putting him into Eberron, right? Like this is it's really cool uh, way to do that. Um, it's also the only one that could really truly justify airships in my mind. Um, and 
Every single D and D campaign, the, the permanent reverse gravity spell that sits on this. Yeah, that that that, that just feels like a DM cop out. Like, oh yeah, no, it was uh, per- they, they permanencyed it. I'm like, yeah. no, 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 no. I want to know what the guts are, what are the mechanics of it, right? Um, I want to know that it is bound elementals that are just about to break free, but they're held at that point of stasis what, to hold this. thing One of the interesting points is that during the war. They did not they specifically say they don't use airships during the war because it was so costly, both as far as like money um, to be able to replace one of these, um, but also costly because if one of these elementals gets free, we're in trouble. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so nobody is risking an airship. So so I, I love that feel, that, that kind of street level grime, that golden age comic books feel. A little bit to them as well. Like I, I do enjoy that tone to Eberron. And it's so interesting because we just keep coming back to the idea of technology, but there's an entire world out there, like Dave was talking about, um, with, with Zendrick, right? Of lost civilizations mm-hmm. and and strange, bizarre histories buried but in ruins need, and you need that for pulp. You need that for oh, Indiana yeah, Jones. You need ab- that. Absolutely, but it, we don't talk about it as no. much. People see Warforged and Artificers and think Okay, it's the tech D&D. And while it is, it's also really not. You can run around and never have a Warforged or Artificer in your party and really feel the flavor of Eberron just running around the outskirts and never getting into Sharn or any of the major cities. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. Warforged are rare. Mm. Aren't, aren't they? Or are they just Mm-mm. littered everywhere? Civilized Warforged are rare. Uh, is there mindless, like, just... I will go and murder every and like bathe in your innards. You know what, Warforged? Yeah, but they're in the Mornland. Um, mm, not anymore. No, I, I, you know I don't. No, no, going back. No, I don't think they're not is. battle droids. No, they're not. No, no, they're they they are built. They're they're a hand built army. Yeah, they are. But when the last war ended. A lot of them set out to go build a life for themselves. And I mean, they're kind of the the weird kid on the playground. You know, they get the side eye. They're not trusted. But but that's every a, one of the new races in Aberron. They're well, abundant as well. They are. They, they, well, they were armies. People didn't send their, peop, their, 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 their civilians that got trained up. They built Warforge. And there was an entire Dragonmark house that built them and sold them and played all the sides off each other and <laughs> cool. made a shit ton of money doing it. And then it literally blew up in their faces. And we can't make new Warforged, apparently. So. Was that House Kenneth? Yeah. 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 Uh, where Ken Kenneth is from. From Oh, no. I thought that was Connecticut. Oh, right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Never mind. Pardon? Don't worry about it. Google it. <laughs> Do not Google that. So, anyways. <laughs> uh, thank you, Dave, for getting my ridiculous reference. Um, but the the point uh, about Warforged is they used to be kind of robots that came to life, and they're not anymore. And we're going to cover that and more after the commercial. 
Hey guys, Dan here with Adam. Um, normally this is a commercial spot, but because year one of the It's a Mimic podcast has surpassed all of our expectations because of you guys and uh, the interactions we've had with you guys, this community that's built up around this podcast, we really wanted to reach out to you guys and give you kind of a taste of what year two is going to be like. It's going to be even better. So normally we do lore episodes and uh, what we're going to do now is we're going to start looking at the popular campaign settings that have been published already for fifth edition. Our world building series that we've had through year one is changing to be a breakdown of the races in Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition. Yep, we're still going to do class breakdowns because we're not even halfway done the subclasses. So each class is going to get even more subclass breakdowns as we go. Some of them will even have three or four episodes because of how many they oh, have. Oh yeah. We're going to be changing our coverage of the mob mentalities and changing it to a portfolios as we break down some of the big monsters in D&D. Yep, we're also going to take our Dungeon Mastery episodes and we're going to focus more on mechanics and the nitty gritties of the game and how to use them in session. We are also still going to be continuing with our really popular Dragon Mastery episodes, but instead of covering all the chromatics, now we're covering the metallics and more. We have more actual plays coming, including sequels to some of the stuff that we've already put out there. We've got more giveaways coming this year, more mailbags, and more random specials. But most importantly, the thing that Dan and I are the most excited about mm -hmm. is this second show that we are building. It's called The Campaign Builder, and it's Adam and I with our two completely different DM styles, kind of building inspiration for a campaign from session zero to the very end. We're going session by session, tier by tier, level by level, encounter by encounter, idea by idea even if they suck. <laughs> yes, even the bad stuff will be in there so you can hear our foibles and how much that we are just as human as you. We also want your interactions. It's going to be a highly interactive uh, show and so it's going to be on the same channel. It's going to be an additional episode on the channel every week so you're going to get to hear our voices twice. We're not apologizing for that. You're welcome. But you know where to find us, okay? But your friends don't. We have our website, it's www.itsamimic.com. We're on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and most of the podcast catchers. But the thing that we are lacking more than anything else is the word of mouth. It really helps us. We need reviews on iTunes and every podcast catcher out there. And, and we need social media tags. So I'm kind of selling my soul to please help us get the word out because this upcoming year is just going to be more and more. It's bigger and better. And Dan is never going to sleep again. No, no, I rarely sleep now as it is. Anyways, uh, guys, thank you again so much for the success of year one. We're really looking forward to year two, but we should really take the ball gag off of Terry because he's getting itchy and we need to record. Yes, that's more excitement than I'm comfortable with. You know, I came into this thinking like, what are like... You know, what are we doing? And then just in what we've been talking about here, it's like, oh my God, we're not going to cover everything. Oh, I know. There's so much. Okay, so so we're back. Like, we're just going to keep that in. <laughs> so we're back. I want to start off. I want to talk about kind of the denizens of, of um, Eberron, who lives there. Uh, and you can't really have this conversation without first talking about dragon marks. That's where it all starts. Now, there are 12 noble houses in the world of Eberron, and each has their own specialty. The specialties um, are all... What's the word I'm looking for here? All of the specialties are tied to a specific dragon mark, and a dragon mark is essentially a magical tattoo-like symbol um, of varying intricacy that can appear anywhere on the body and give the person that is marked special abilities. Now, each 
house, each noble house, has their own unique kind of dragon marks, which give them their own unique powers. Every time uh, that you have one, it is the specific race that, that gets it. So you cannot be part of a house and get dragon marks unless you are also of this race-appropriate um, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, member of, of this noble house. So... Um, yeah, dragon marks aren't just tattoos. No, uh, no, no. You don't. They're th- like birthmarks, aren't they? they yeah, they are yeah. birthmarks, but they look like tattoos, right? They're very intricate and mm-hmm. they, they swirl. They've got some really amazing designs to them. But they evolve over time as well. Some of them do, but not all. And not every member of every house is going to get them, right? Like, so there are. Um, you can be a member of the house and not be marked, mm-hmm. but. Um, if you are, you're considered uh, blessed with these magical markings because you have this this kind of tie to magic. It's similar to how sorcerers are tied to magic. Like it's part of your bloodline yep. and your birthright, uh, and it's a very basic like one cantrip, right? Or you're resistant to this kind of magic or something, right? It is very simple. It's not like getting a full new sub race feature it's just one little extra tweak and so i I just want to go over really quickly here are the dragon marks detection is tied to half elves so these are bodyguards um they deal with investigation and risk management there's finding these are humans or half orcs they're all about bounty hunting investigation and prospecting there's handling which is uh for humans which is animal training and breeding yeah there's healing for halflings, which is all about healing. <coughs> There's hospitality for halflings, which is food, lodging, and urban information. And you can see how this is going to become popular amongst uh, some players and why they're going to want to choose to have their their character have a dragon mark tattoo. Yeah. Um, there's making, uh, which is uh, the humans of House Kenneth, and they're all about manufacturing. Uh, there's passage humans um, that focus on land transportation, scribing gnomes, Dan. Yep, which are all about uh, communication, translation, and verification. Sentinel, uh, which is human bodyguards and mercenaries. So there's a couple of bodyguard ones. One of them was detection, and one of them is sentinel. And they're and these are the what the dragon marks are called. Um, there are uh, two different um, houses. That are both elven houses that are uh, directly tied to the concept of uh, shadow, which is entertainment in either espionage or assassin, right? But these are your traveling bards that are also up to shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, half elves uh, also get the ability to have the storm dragon mark, which gives them air and sea transportation. So they're going to be the ones, the airships and and the boats. And you have to deal with them, and you have to deal with them if you're going to get on an airship. Each one of these houses holds this uh, this idea, this concept, tightly in their fist, and they won't let it go. If you are going to be dealing with healing of any sort, then the Jurasco house, the halflings there, will be involved. Yeah. And they will make money off of you. Uh, and the last one is warding, uh, which is dwarven, and it's all about banking, storage, and prisons. So there are a lot of things about the Dragon Marks, including... Um, the fact that they they have enclaves in major cities. You can have a rank in the house. There are emblems. Um, there is a thing called the Twelve, which is an organization that actually facilitates the cooperation between the houses. Um, there are uh, foundlings, who are people that have a dragon mark, 
but no tie to a Dragonmarked house. Oh, cool. Because there's also the Aberrant Dragonmark, which just appears and nobody knows what it means. And so it's got uh, other different powers that it has as well. But it, that's a really cool plot hook for, for people as well. I'm still on page one of Dragon Marks, and there are many, many, many pages of them because each one of them gets their own full page, whereas in previous editions, they got a paragraph. Yeah. Now, you not only have have um, a page, you get like a sub-race version of your ability score increase here, the spells that you get, the languages you know. There are, are different um, spell tables and progressions through it. Like, there's so much that goes into Dragon Marks, and it really kind of paints the picture for what Eberron is all about and who you need to deal with. Cool. Uh, there's also, and here's the elephant in the room, the newest, the 13th class, the Artificer. We're not going to touch on Artificers today. No. In two weeks, we're going to be doing an Artificer episode. So, everybody, hold your breath. We're getting to it. <laughs> it deserves its own full conversation because they are th- there are three new subclasses, and it's dense, the things that they can do. They're badass. Yeah. Um, there's also a, new, a single new background called the House Agent, which is directly related to you being someone that works for, the, for one of the noble houses. Um, and there are a number of new playable races. There are changelings who are traditionally distrustful humanoids that can change their appearance to look like any other humanoid of the same size. There's the Kalishtar, who are wise, fair, elegant people who are bonded with spirits from the plane of dreams. There are shifters who have lycanthropy in their bloodlines, and they can grow bestial aspects to their forms. Cool. And then there are the Warforged, which are living machines, and they are alive now. You no longer need the Mending spell to be able to heal a Warforged. Regular healing works on them. They're just another um, sentient race. That's convenient. It is. And that's the thing the 5th Ed has done is like, look, guys, I know that we had a rule for everything to try to make it make sense in 3.5, and 4th edition was just chess with powers. But 5th edition, I know I'm really not doing anything justice here, but 5th edition is streamlining so that it is less about the mechanics and more about the flavor and the story, right? So, um, Warforged do have bodies that are made of wood and metal, but they are creatures that follow the same rules as other creatures. Uh, And they're new to the world, but the secrets of their creation are still, like we talked about earlier, shrouded in mystery. Now, there's all of the regular PHB races, and each one of them get something new and different. There's a spin on all of them. But there's uh and and there's some spins on some of the sub races too, like Drow. Drow are no longer from the Underdark. They're from that place over there on that continent. Okay. Yeah, and they're about scorpions and not spiders. Right? That's a thing, Dave? Uh, I, I, that was I one know. thing from Eberron that sticks in my mind. Like they're they're they are a scorpion based race rather than a spider based race now. Uh, well maybe in three point five I didn't run into anything like that in this book. But again, I didn't do a deep dive into the drow of Eberron. Yeah, I so. think like the god they follow is more scorpion than spider. We didn't do a lot of drow, but they are from the limited contact we did have. They were different than typical. Yes, yeah. Uh, so um, the other thing that we get is uh, versions, playable versions of goblinoids, all three of them, and orcs. Oh, cool. And they get their own unique rule sets as well for Eberron. Awesome. Um, because they're a major... The Goblinoids are, were the original like leaders of the main continent, right? There are a number of new creatures as well, including um, new aberrations. 
One of the cults I said before was the Dark Six, and uh, the Dark Six are the Lords of Madness that were the aberrations that befouled Corvair eons ago, and they came in, and there are actually stat blocks for a couple of them, and they're just... They inhabit human bodies, and they are weirdness personified. Cool. Very old god feely. Yes. Uh, there are also uh, quarry, which are from the plane of dreams, and they're the embodiment of dreams and nightmares, and they're usually found possessing hosts, and they're very... Uh, very strange and otherworldly as well. Kind of like Faye ramped up even more. Oh no, more like more like shadows and and um, will o' wisps ramped up even more. Um, there are also new dinosaurs and Fey creatures. We get a new hag. There's a dusk hag now. Oh yay! So Dan's yay. excited with that. There's more fiends. There's new and specific humanoid stat blocks as well, like uh, for Warforged soldiers. But also the uh, Big Papa himself, the Lord of Blades, Dave's favorite like D&D character, named character of all time, is the Lord of Blades. He is the lawful evil leader of... He's just, he's just war-obsessed, and he's the last, what, general, Warforged general left. I always... I'm not sure if this is in the lore or not, but I always had him as the first. He was number one. He was the Warforged. And kind of through that grew to become their de facto leader once the war ended. Uh, if you look, I think he's the, you know, the leader in the Mornland. Yes. Right? Yeah, he is definitely... Sorry, I'm trying to flip through it right now. He is the... Lord of Blades. There's just so much. I can't even find it. There are too many pages. There's too many pages of crazy shit in here. Keep going. Well, what the hell is that? Those are overlords. The Lord of Blades... Um, is a Warforged warlord who has broken all ties with his former masters. He's established a nation for his people deep in the Mornland, centered in a great fortress where Warforged from all over Corvair can come and feel a sense of belonging because Warforged don't need to breathe. That's still true, so they can pass through the, the Mornland. Uh, no one knows what the Lord of Blade plans for his followers, but many fear that he tends to build a legion of Warforged zealots Primed to march from the Mornland to unleash destruction on the former masters. He's a CR 18. He's a legendary creature. He's got a bunch of shit that he can do. Um, and he's a spellcaster as well on top of that. Of course he is. And he's got big ass freaking wings made of blades. Like angel wings made of blades on his back. And he's just... He's medium sized, but he will wreck your day. He gets a legendary action, eh? Oh yeah, yeah. Like that's what I mean. He's a legendary creature. Like yeah. he's he's Dave sitting here like scratching his arm, wanting to just read the stat block on the Lord of Blades. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's also um, new stat blocks for new undead as well. Um, and um, I said that there are new fiends, there are new celestials. But my favorite thing from the new fiends is there's a new named character uh, that's a Rakshasa. Hmm. There's also just a new build for Rakshas as well that are like soldiers. Cool. Yep. I love um, Rakshas. And, and there's a bunch of, uh, of other constructs as well, which is really important for artificers. We can go into that in the next episode. One of the interesting additions of note is the Warforged uh, Colossi, which are old holdovers. A Warforged Colossus uh, is a massive war machine that has been lost in the war. 
and there are only a handful of them now. Some of them are at the bottom of lakes or or overgrown uh, on other continents. And these things, and, and they're just waiting to be stumbled upon by adventurers. Like, mm-hmm. if you're going to play in Eberron, you should find a Warforged Colossus because it's memorable. They're so freaking big. They're considered gargantuan, but I feel like gargantuan in 5th Ed is just bigger than huge and all the way up, right? They are so big that they're treated as creatures with internal dungeons that you can navigate through. Oh, geez. There are actually layouts in the book. There are maps for when you enter through the foot and climb up the leg and enter the stomach cavity and how to be able to control them and run them and whatnot. And while they have a stat block that you can run them as a monster, you can also run them as a dungeon and gain control of them and drive them. So, Dave is just, like, playing with it now. Is there a CR-25? Yes, because it's a walking castle. <laughs> yeah, so they are, um, like, you can have an entire adventure based on fighting these. This is this is Pacific Rim. Yeah. Right? Yeah, they're Jaegers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they could even drop Jaeger bombs. No, it's just me? Okay. Yeah. Moving right along. Um, so there is another new aspect of D&D that I wanted to, to touch on as well. Um, dragon shards. This is another major factor uh, to Eberron, but it's one of the smaller things in 5th edition. They really didn't put as much time and effort into it as they have in previous editions. Dragon shards are essentially just gems that are imbued with magical energies that are powerful spell components and crafting materials. Each one of them is named after the dragons of the creation myth. So there's the shards of Eberron, the shards of Sybaris, right? Yeah. So, uh, and they're said to be able to uh, to amplify magical powers and imbue special um, aspects. It's really just, I think, kind of a shorthand for artificers to be able to imbue powers in, into... All right, cool. Yeah. So, so there's kyber crystals? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yep. Yep. So... I wanted How to enlightening. Ugh. Go home. <laughs> so I wanted to, God fuck. You just ruined my life. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you guys really quickly. Let's roll dice. Of all of the things here, or, uh, uh, okay, oh, we already know Dave's answer. Of the four new races, Changelings, Kalistar, Shifters, and Warforge, which one interests you the most and least and why? Okay. Let's roll. Natural 20. Natural one. I got a three. All right. So the ones that uh, uh, inspire me the least um, are changelings. You don't like changelings? I don't like changelings. Um, I have seen changelings just be an excuse for um, rampant party fuckery. Yes. And okay, Dave, you, you go first. You are absolutely wrong. This is a world of espionage. Changelings are hugely important. I know. I know. They're hugely important as NPCs. Right. <sighs> I, I, I'm not I, I, they, they just don't interest me uh, there are other ways to have uh, like uh, the changeling motif of someone who just over an action could change I, I don't know what the mechanics of them are off the top of my head but like they seem very they should they're one of those uh, they're one of those races that should just be a monster look here's the thing about it is it's prohibitive enough that you cannot do all just shifting from from one round to another over and over and over again and still be effective in combat this is really a exploration more than anything else mechanic that they mm-hmm. get the the ability to now look like that tiefling and I will head over there and do this right and so but it's it's not perfect they have to practice it they have their different look 
we we have a rogue in our Sunday group who has a million different personas and was introduced as one and then pulled the mask off, literally pulled the mask off and said, Haha, I'm this instead. And went, Oh, that's cool that you have this persona. Like they pulled the tiefling horns off and said, Ah, just kidding, I'm an elf. And then they pulled the elven ears off and said, No, just kidding, I'm a human. And then they pulled um their ASMR wings out and said, Haha, I'm an ASMR. And so Changeling is just built to be able to do that. And it's not so much fucking around with other party members. While you can, this is more about having an in with all the different houses. Yeah. Right. And well, they're spies. And if you're going to have an aspire espionage campaign, I understand how they're, they have, and if you're playing an Everon, you most likely will go but, down that but route. They've got, I could see it. But of the four of them, they're the least interesting to me. Okay. No, that's fair. Right. Um, I do like Warforge. I, you and I have, Dave, have played D&D together. Not, not as much as we should. Not as often as we should. But, oh, They're holding hands. It's weird. Uh, <laughs> but the one time I, I recall us playing was way back when. And you were playing like a Warforged Barbarian or something like that. You were just a, what was that character's name? Uh, you had a shard inside. It's that, called a docent. Okay. Uh <laughs> So we went over this in the mailbag episode. Which releases after this. Oh, okay. And I didn't realize it at the time because this character was predates the connotation that it has now. But the Warforged I created when he left the the army and started yeah. to become his own person, he named himself Search. He was searching for something. Uh, and but, I'm sorry, and that's inherent in all Warforged is... They're looking for the new purpose now that they're no longer for war. Who am I? What do I do? And that was Dave's big plot hook with this guy named Search. He's trying to find what makes him him. Mm -hmm. So actually, uh, your brother was DMing for me at the time. And he gave me a docent that had another Warforged sentience. And remember I said the Lord of Blades kind of to me is number one. Well, this guy was number seven. And his name was Grinder. So he was searching as grinder, yeah, that was yeah. pointed out to, Which, to Dave on the mailbag episode. It comes out on Thursday, and it ruined me. Oh no, <laughs> I hate it. So, <laughs> the, the, but this was back in like two thousand and two or four. Yeah, or yeah. This, so there's we, no way we, we were still young and spry. But yeah, no. The the I'm interesting on grinder. Yeah, and so <laughs> <laughs> ruined forever, Dave. Yep, <laughs> but. Uh, I like Warforged. I like I like the interesting things you can do with them. They're, I mean, they're... The docent is really cool, though, because... And again, like, we didn't go into it because there's not enough time to hit all of this shit in one episode. But the docent is like the the trill slug in Star Trek. I yeah. also have more like the memory chip that you can kind of slot in and whatnot. Yeah, sure. That yeah. being said, not every Warforged Gets one. Yeah. is built with a spot for it. That's another thing about the Warforged is they've got all these components as well. Of course, yeah. You can get one Not everyone's going to be Betamax. Or... Yeah, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> not anymore. No? Nope. Hmm. They're, they're more standardized now. Cool. Interesting. I like that because it kind of set them apart from everything else. Yeah. But... The race that interests me the most are shifters. Why? I like the feral aspect of them. I like the kind of chaotic uh, f- uh, utilitarian aspects of them, right? They seem very... Um, 
Okay, little insight into my brain. When I build a character, I like to think, if this character's locked up in a prison, how does he get out? And every time I create a character, that is a challenge I have Raw to Raw sexual energy. I mean, some of my characters, sure. Lockie especially. Hey. Um, but, no, really not. Really not. But uh, shifters, the ability to change their form, even just a little bit, um, in a lycanthropic way, really intrigues me. I love werewolves. I've always loved werewolves. Um, so this this whole bloodline of lycanthropy, I like the history of them where this has been part of their family line for, you know, generations and it is flaring up within them. I, I, I really want to play a shifter. Also, because 3.5 shifters were hot garbage. And I want to see if Fifth edition shifters they're actually better. Uh, they're better. Justify. They're better. Yeah, cool. They're okay, Dave. Uh, you rolled next. Oh, I rolled next. Yeah, oh, yeah Dave, right. Dave botched. I right. rolled one of those. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah uh, the straight line. Uh, those of one. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, uh, my least favorite is by far shifters. Yeah. And the reason is because I think uh, lycanthropy is poorly supported. And ill-defined no, I get in, that, yeah. in Dungeons and Dragons. If we're going to have where rats, where boars, where bears, where wolves, it should be far more important than it is, and a remove curse should not fix it. I agree. And so this is why I dislike shifters is because I don't think it makes an ounce of fucking sense. The same reason that I'm not a big fan of like Divine Soul Sorcerer doesn't make an ounce of sense to me because if why not just be an ASMR sorcerer, right? We already have it built in somewhere else, and it's poorly defined, right? Why not just be a warlock, um, or I don't know. You know what? There are some things where there's there's overlap and there's um, there's contradiction in in fifth edition in Dungeons and Dragons in general, right? Uh, Psionics has a lot of contradictions in it, and I don't like it as a general rule. Yep, right. Um, and so technology plus magic has a lot of contradictions and doubling up and whatnot. And so I try to avoid it as a general rule. But uh, I just, I think that shifters, we already have druids. We already have werewolves. Why do we need shifters? They seem like an unnecessary addition. Um, however, I do like the mechanics of them. I just yeah. think from a flavor standpoint, they're still garbage. Um, my favorite is the Kalashtar. Because they are essentially like the ethereal, beautiful beings that elves are, but they've got weird nightmare like connotations to them as well. They are infected by um, by a, another being from the plane of dreams that is, is messing with them psychically all of the time and gives them crazy powers and makes them strange and aloof. And I keep thinking like if you wanted to play a character that's possessed. This is the closest that you have in 5th edition. And I really like the idea of exploring your personal relationship with a, a parasite, essentially. An aspect of another plane that is foreign, that you don't understand, that is inside your, your basic being. And how do you handle that? And mm -hmm. what is that like? And I think that they're not aloof. They're consistently living two worlds at once. And it makes it weird. They're not aloof. They're distracted. Yeah. And so that's... I really like the Kalistar. Dave, what do you got? Uh, well, I like the Warforged. Oh, really? Honestly. You? Yes. No. Yes. Okay. 
Uh, and I, I do not like the Kalishtar uh, for every reason that you like them. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, they're, the, the idea of psychic powers, I don't... I, I acknowledge that there's a place for them. I don't like them. I don't like psionics because they're weird and they don't fit D&D. It's not perfect, not yet. If you look at the ninth school, like wizard, wizarding school, spell school, and it doesn't... No, it, that's war. Nope. No, that's blade singing. Nope. Okay. No, because that's still just taken from the other, the other schools. Psionic <laughs> seems like it's it's the ninth, and it was tacked on afterwards. Is poorly defined and contradicts other shit. Mm-hmm. So I get what you're saying, Dave. I think the Kalish Star have been streamlined in fifth edition. Sure, I haven't really looked at them, so yeah. I mean it could be a lot different. It obviously is. Yep. But they were just never they never really stood out to me. Uh, honestly, I wasn't really a big fan of the shifter either. The the whole. I mean, yeah. Now I have whiskers again. Like, <laughs> lycanthropy has been done. Like, it's an unnecessary. Yeah, I just felt like it was an unnecessary addition, right? But at the same time, I really like Warforged, and I really like the Changeling because the Changeling really does again work into that whole espionage uh, noir yep. setting very well, very very well. It makes it a lot of fun. There was one Changeling we had uh, who was like the big boss that they were fighting who kept coming back and showing up and he would change and and fantastic for an NPC and a villain fantastic for an NPC or villain uh, you're absolutely as right. a player I'd find that immensely difficult to play see the thing about it too is that there's a weird sadness to them because they don't have their own culture because much like the tieflings they've been run out because of, of distrust mm-hmm. and so well, there are small little groups of them and little communities of them where they uh, they have their own, like... And each one of them has, like, a signature look to them as well. The one persona they go back to repeatedly. But they are just, like, pale white. And I don't mean, like, like I'm pale white. I mean, like, they are literally the color, like, absence of color. White. Shockingly white. They look, mm. they look like a whiteboard level of white. And so... And, and they have to, they but they can grow freaking limbs and shit too, right? Like they're not regrowing hands, but they're they can grow tiefling horns or a tail or freaking dragonborn Wings. snout, yeah, right? Like it's crazy that they can do that. Um, and like, there's a lot of power. There's a lot of interest in there for me. I think you're right, Dave. But you like them more than Warforged now, right? Is what I hear. No. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just hard now. No, the Warforged, you got the Colossus, you've got the Warforged Titan. Do they still do a Warforged Juggernaut? Is that a class? No. That is baloney. Well, remember, we don't have classes in the same way. We may end up getting a Juggernaut, a Barbarian Juggernaut in the future that is geared towards uh, yeah, Warforged. Yeah, I, I know, but it's... But we, that yeah. was one of the... That's what I really liked about... Old Warforged, it, it gave them a unique... I mean, you can do that with just about anything, but it was strangely unique. It was. They did stand out from, from previous uh, previous editions. Okay, so um, my other question is, now that we've talked a little bit about the dragon marks and the different kinds of monsters, um, is there anything that really like jumped out that made you go, hey, that's a really cool thing? When I'm going to build a character, I'm going to look closely at blank. Let's roll... Sure. Uh, oh no! Adam's going first. I'm going second. Dave, you're you're 
I'm here. Okay, so one of the things that stood out to me that I absolutely love is the aberrations that they've that they've brought in here. The Lords of Madness, the the um what are they, the Dark Six. That's such a cool aspect of, of just the weird coming into the world. We, the three of us, sat down and talked about warlock patrons a few months back, yep. right? Mm-hmm. And the the weird and the abstract coming into the world. I love anything that has anything to do with madness in D anD D, from sanity rules to the freaking fiends that are all about madness um, in Ravnica to now these aberrations as well. It's so otherworldly and strange, and I feel like you could build an entire campaign off of dealing with these six individuals. It's so rich. And the fact that you get a couple of stat blocks out of them too is great because you can defeat a couple of the cults that are trying to, you know, raise this or empower that, but a couple of them get powered up and these are your end bosses you need to fight. Right? I, I just think that it's so cool to have... Finally, we've got Strahd, we've got a Sererak, we've we don't really have named aberration or aberrations that can sit there and be big boss bad guys, right? And as a matter of fact, the closest thing that we have is Xanathar himself, who is not a bad guy, <laughs> but he's like uh, he's the named. He's not a bad guy. He's an NPC. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't use him as a villain. Really? Yeah. He is a... Oh, I 100% would use Anathar as a villain. He's not a direct confrontation. It, he gets his cult to take care of you. But, like, he is... He's just a beholder, right, is my point. He's just a named beholder, which... Is, I mean, they're CR, what, 8? So, at best, he's a CR 11. Also, he's the Xanathar. Yeah, but he's not a level 20 problem. Sorry, man. I just don't see it. These guys are level 20 aberrations. They're weird. They're from the the far realm. Yeah, cool. And, like, they just... They bring in something new. And I love the idea that there was a freaking alien invasion. Dan just randomly flipped to another page. His eyes got big and we've lost him again. But uh, who's next? Me. Okay. So, uh, for me, for my actual answer, I love the houses of, uh, like, just the entire house system. I like that... Uh, not geographical political intrigue, right? You could go to Sharn and you can just tower to tower, engage, uh, do council meetings, stuff like that, which sounds incredibly dry and boring, but I love the role-playing part of it where you are doing the espionage, you're doing the intrigue, you are trying to either build up your house or tear down another, right? Um, you are trying to outperform a house or you are trying to ruin a house's reputation in some way, shape, or form. Um, so, so so, this is conspiracy theory about the uh, like the, the council of shadow, shadowy board members that rule the world and seven or eight like members of industry, captains of industry that, that make decisions about wars and, and military... We actually have 12, and it's public knowledge. It's these guys. These guys are doing it. They're, they're running everything. These are the corporations. Oh, it's, really? It's these guys. Those are the those are the houses. Yeah. Cool. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Right? And, I understand what you're saying. And so that's it. The heads of the houses are like, yeah, we call the shots. We're going to raise the price of travel across the land. And here we go. Oh, oh, we run the prisons. You don't want to pay us more money? 
Have your criminals back on the street, right? These guys can strong arm anything, and it's really cool that they have that opportunity. We don't really see that anywhere else. No, you really don't. Not at all. And I, I love it for that. Anyway, Dave, 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 what's yours? I don't know. There's too much. <laughs> and I mean, I've been working at this at Eberron for a long time, and I still don't know. Uh, I love all of it. I, I, I want it. <laughs> you want it? Uh, yes. You know, there's there's nothing that stands out because nothing is is bad. Is that where you're coming from? No, there's some there's there are some things bad. that you're not crazy about. Yeah, there's some crap with the good, but there's way more good than bad. there's always stuff that you're just not going to be interested in. You're going to leave behind, right? Like it's weird to me that you can get off of your airship and ride a dinosaur into battle, right? Like in in a major city right like that's badass I love every bit I, every sentence in that was fucking honey <laughs> like keep going please um are Kender in here there's no Kender okay good yeah this great book I love this book this book's amazing <laughs> uh, okay so was there anything else Dave that you wanted to we kind of cut you off N- no 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 I I, <laughs> I, I, I well, want it yeah. I, I want to do it <laughs> Uh, okay, so um, before we move on to, to the last thing and talk about campaigns, uh, because there is no campaign path in this book, right? This is not Storm King's Thunder. There's no plot. It's just setting and character options yep. and theme and tone um, and details of a of a homebrew, originally built world that somebody else made that is just fucking choice but before we get into what we would do with this world i just want to kind of open up a new opportunity to the people this is the last episode of year one for us now it is episode 53 but just because of where tuesdays landed this is the last episode of of year one and uh tomorrow is our anniversary special because that is literally the one year anniversary and then we're kicking off this new um show this campaign builder on Thursday, it's going to be every Thursday moving forward, so that'll be two shows a week. But as we're wrapping this um, this show up uh, for year one, year two, we want to do something different with the shoutouts. It shouldn't be just the people that we like. We want to know the people that you like. And so we're encouraging people to write in to info at itsamimic.com. Um, for future shout-outs. Now, we do recordings seven weeks in advance as a general rule, so yep. keep that in mind uh, so when you want to shout-out and say, you know, kind of, is there a birthday that you want to acknowledge for one of your players? Is there a really cool Twitter account that people should know about? Did you just put up a new document on DMs Guild and you just want more exposure for it? Do you want to shout-out your campaign? Do you want to... Mention the people around your table. Is there someone important to you that will listen to this podcast that you want to draw attention to? Yeah, and just let us know. And we're going to randomly select. I mean, it's not going to be guaranteed for everybody. But we're going to roll dice and randomly select and and find out um, who should be uh, should be honored in, on each episode. We want more input from you, I yeah. guess is the point. Because one of the things that we don't talk about is the fact that we've got a website uh, with a little donations page or button on the on the homepage and we never plug it at all and there are people out there that are donating and it keeps the freaking lights on yeah it, it's it's amazing we 
can do this podcast. We can go out and buy more books. We can do more giveaways, which we're going to be doing, and they will be simpler and more streamlined in the upcoming year <laughs> than the last cluster fuck that was the last one. Yeah. But the the things that uh, that we are able to do is because of these people that randomly stumbled upon the web page uh, and then decided to to hit this button and donate. And every little bit helps. We can't see who you are because of the way that it's built. But thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you and don't stop or we will have to record without lights on. <sighs> Not yeah. Now, hold on. What can, we, it keeps the what can we threaten them with? Every so often have a compilation of Dan coughs. I mean, I yeah. Adam's heavy breathing, my coughing and Terry's grunting. We will just have a compilation of that. Adam stopped breathing. It is now super conscious about it. <laughs> no, I don't give a shit at all. So, um, the... <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I just wanted to thank everybody. Um, and uh, if you haven't checked out our website, we're doing new and interesting things, uh, especially because we're talking about doing some more actual play stuff yep. that's coming up this year. We're going to be taking all of, all of the uh, Call of Cthulhu stuff off of the main channel as well as all of our other actual play stuff, and we're going to be putting it onto a separate channel. Uh, as we continue to move forward, we are going to have um, this... Uh, as we move forward with other actual play things, like our all specials... All content will be on that like, other channel. Like the Wizard Tower that we did and the Christmas special that we've done, as well as a couple other projects we have kind of in the works that we're looking at, are all going to be on this other channel too. Um, you guys are going to see a little bit of a numbering restructuring. I'm sure you won't give a shit, but if you're curious, that's why. Um, is because we're pulling some things out and we're kind of streamlining a little bit more. Uh, and we're able to have a second channel and pay for it because of the donations. Mm -hmm. So once again, thank you. We don't have a Patreon. Uh, we don't have a Kickstarter or a, uh, a GoFundMe page. So it's all just randos, randos hitting the donation button. And we super appreciate it. We really do. So like I say, reach out to us. Uh, you can donate at www.itsamimic.com. More importantly, you can send us your shout-outs at info at itsamimic.com, and we will be happy to get a little bit more interaction with you and bring you more of what you want. Uh, the big thing that we're doing this year is uh, is we're focusing on races as well instead of the world building. We've taken world building. We're making a brand new show out of it. So we've got this extra room. We're going to be covering the Player's Handbook races this year mm -hmm. and beyond in, in future years. So this is... I'm excited about this year. Oh, yeah, for sure. And rapidly, we are going to, well, within seven weeks, uh, have people respond to us with, with shout-outs that they want to have um, on, the, on the podcast. So this is really my only chance to gush and brag a little bit about this. Oh, yeah. So um, for those of you that listen, it's been a hell of a first year. It's been absolutely ridiculous. Thank you, Dan, for Call of Cthulhu. Uh, thank you, Dave, for shooting Megan in the face in Call of Cthulhu. Anytime. Legitimately <laughs> anytime. So uh, we've had <laughs> we, we've had a crazy, crazy year, and um, and we're looking forward to year two, which starts uh, tomorrow, tomorrow morning. Yeah, so. for sure. Um, now, is there anything you'd like to add, Dan? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the one thing that you will have noticed if you are one of our keen listeners or loyal followers or whatever, whatever the other two-word thing is there. Um, fuck, that just summarizes Dan right there. Whatever two-word thing goes here. <laughs> yeah. Um, you'll, you'll, you'll have noted that, you know, we, we have a... Uh, we've we've brought Dave and Brad and Megan in to uh, to kind of help uh, lessen the load a 
bit in the hosting duty so that we could have a little bit more fun with all this additional content that we're putting out there as well. So Yeah, you're going to hear a lot more of the three of them this year as well. Yeah, for sure. And and I want to thank Dave and and, and Brad and, and Megan for coming out and really helping us out and tossing their opinions uh, at the wall and uh, seeing what sticks. So, um, again, thank you guys so much for your help. Um, Word. And... <laughs> Fuck. God damn it. That's okay. it, you're fired. I was going to suggest, you know, writing in and say, so which of the three of the new hosts do you guys like? And and, and what questions do you have for them? But really, I don't want anyone to really engage with Dave. So um, out of Brad and Megan, like, yeah, who, who, do you like who do you like the most? I don't want them to engage with me either. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, um, yeah. God, nobody wants to engage Dave. All right, so... Sorry, Dave. You'll find someone eventually. Let's talk about... I'm okay. <laughs> let's talk about homebrewing in Eberron now. Cool. So we've talked about a lot of different um, ideas and different uh, options in Eberron, but what I want is a one-shot idea that that really smart... Like, this is all about going balls to the wall. That's what Eberron is about. You are steeped in lore and mythology, but mostly in theme and adventure. What are you doing for a one-shot here that's going to just stand above everything else? Grab your dice. Let's roll. Eight and a nine. I got a six. Dave got a straight line again. I did. I'm telling you right now, it is the fight to take over the Warforged Colossus. God damn it. This is the thing that... But it's... It's, you know, you get a map and it is sitting in some difficult to get to location and there's going to be another faction that you are fighting to, to get there. Probably one of the houses yeah. has sent agents to go get this Colossus. Um, maybe House Kenneth even. And I, I wonder if it's pronounced Kenneth and we're just saying it wrong, but... Isn't it C apostrophe? No. No? Okay. I don't know. Maybe it is. I'm not so good at spelling. <laughs> I know how that feels. Yeah. So anyway, no, I would absolutely have this race. And then you have to get into the Colossus itself where, where it's sitting down. And so the dungeon itself, the crawl is sideways as you enter in through the legs. And then when it stands up, anybody in the lower half of it now has the entire room shift. And this long hallway became essentially an elevator shaft that you're fighting. in. like, I think that. And then you, now you have to walk it somewhere, probably to get it to be destroyed, or deposit it in the Mornland, or walk into a volcano, or whatever it is. But I really like the idea of a battle for the Warforged Colossus. Okay. For me, um, aliens. Dave? Okay, like, <laughs> no, so, so, sorry. So what I will do is I will do the aberrant, the old god feel of it, um, but they are bringing in their old god, their, their aberrant technologies with them as well and one of them would have escaped the bounds and is now moving throughout uh oh shit maybe that's how they made warforge how's kenneth teamed up with aberrations yeah there, there's so many different options here but this is when you have like the one guy with a laser gun and, and all the other artifices are just beaten off to it. Just trying, like, they need this thing to study it, to duplicate it, because this is like a concentrated beam of light that damages. Oh my goodness, this is so confusing and weird. We need it. Um, Which so, is ridiculous, because isn't that what Guiding Bolt is? <laughs> or something, right? But this is a replicatable thing. So, um, I, I... Scorching Ray. <laughs> we replicate it three times. Yeah, well, um, but I, I would have a camp uh, for a one shot alone is you going in, fighting your way through a 
um, warehouse of oddities, of these things that break your mind in a way that you have to fight and, and, and try to figure out just to get to this last fight of this uh, probably possessed gnome. With a laser of course, pistol? Of course. It's always gnomes. Of it's course. always gnomes. Fuck you, Dan. Gnomes can be bad guys, too. I'm being, you know, very... God damn it. It's a bad guy gnome instead of a good guy In year gnome. two, Dan will not say gnome for one episode. That's 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 going to be a gnome problem. Anyways. It, it'll be the episode he's not on. <laughs> <laughs> I will edit it. Just You'll just hear my voice saying, Gnome. <laughs> In the background. <laughs> no, no, I, that, that, that's cool. Would you add a sanity score then if they're running through the warehouse? Oh, one hundred and ten percent. Yeah. Okay. Cool. In my head, it was a, a. You were talking about this, and I'm like, like Indiana Jones through the jungles. They find the crashed spaceship, and then you come out of like the thick vines and man-eating plants with a laser gun and just start fucking up cobalts. <laughs> yeah. Sure. <laughs> like, do it. Both of them work great. I, I absolutely love the idea of the just the crazy technology. Yeah. That does not belong in this world yeah and like in a world of technology this is unwelcome yeah right dave what you got uh i have a lot uh (laughs) i I like the idea of uncovering these mysteries uh what happened to the giants what's going on on argonison with all the dragons why do they have their own continent what's up with that uh, what happened to the Mornland? And there are no answers provided in the book. No, These all... are just questions that they provide and say, hey, nobody knows this ancient mystery that, and that's it. But I also like the idea of having these tensions between the, the different houses and the different regional uh, powers and uniting them to try to go and fight the... For a one-shot? Of... No, I guess you did say one shot. I wasn't thinking one shot. I was thinking big. Well, that's the next question is big campaign. Okay, well, I'm on to that one right now. Okay, so then you'll come back with the one shot at the end of the... Yes, I will. All right. But the... Uh, the It's okay. He's gone. He's moved up from intern to coffee bitch. Yeah, I guess that's true. I believe it was coffee retrieval specialist. <laughs> coffee bitch. Which I... This is what it says in the yoga pants we got you. No. <laughs> guess which word is written where? <laughs> I would expect nothing less. Yeah. So, uh, all right. Like, continue with your with your your pitch, Dave. With the the espionage between houses and and getting everybody not espionage but aligning them up towards a common goal. Yeah, you know, having that one threatening. Kyber is breaking free. Yeah, you know, maybe that's what's going on on Argonison, and you have to travel to get the knowledge from the different parts of the world to come together and you know solve that issue like there's just so so much that you can yeah th- yeah there's a lot here okay let's roll again then now you and I are going to do campaigns it's going to do a one shot okay thought you said you could get it in the box Dan I rolled a three so for a one shot <laughs> yeah <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> uh, I just honestly go and figure out what happened to the giants. Yeah, yeah. It's simple. It's right there, and you can do whatever you want with it. It feels a little bit like low hanging fruit, but it's also so steeped in mystery that you can easily homebrew your own mm-hmm. thing. There. Yeah, you're traipsing through jungles and yeah. you know, all sorts of cool I, stuff. It, is it is it giant souls that have been put into the warforged and they don't know it? 
There's so many questions when it comes to the Warforged, you could just D&D whatever you want. Well, that's the cool thing about Eberron is there's so many different aspects of it which are so blown wide open that are unexplored in this that you can do just whatever the fuck you want. Mm -hmm. Which, now you make me want to do what happened to the Giants campaign. That's my answer, by the way. Oh, no, wait, you're next. We did that once, didn't we? Did we do what happened to the Giants campaign? Yeah. I had you guys go around. I was DMing. It was really poorly done. I ended up killing you, but there was a bunch of different... Oh, yeah. I I pulled from everywhere. Yeah. There was... There There was a little bit of Eberron. There was was a a little little bit bit of... Everything. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, Okay, so for my full campaign idea... Yeah. um, What happened to the giants? No. They might be giants. Cleanse the Moorland. Cleanse the Moorland? Yeah. Make it uh, habitable again. Almost said it wrong. Yeah, almost said it wrong. Uh, Yeah, you're you're doing better, Dan. Yeah, uh, but... This will involve your party figuring out a way for, um, you know, standard air-breathing humanoids to survive. How to start agriculture again. Grow some potatoes from your poop. I don't care what. Figure it out. Um, But it also brings in the political intrigue of going to the Lord of Blades and trying to get him to allow humanoids to move back in. This has got to be a full campaign. You're going to probably start it off with that one Warforged emissary who is saying that there is a group of humanoids trapped somewhere in the Mornland in some underground facility or some underground cave system that the party needs to come and get. And here's breathing devices just to get you there. You know, we'll figure this out. And then you get there and it's a, it, that's where your home base is. It's a small thriving society of humanoids living underground away from the toxic air of some, some way, shape or form. And I would build an entire campaign out of cleansing the Mornland and not, not like genocide. I'm not talking Warforged genocide. I'm talking making it ha- uh, habitable again and bringing it to be a place where people can expand, maybe generating a the last new- the last scene is the single flower starting to bloom in the land in the yeah. wasteland. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, okay. I, it just occurred to me, by the way, the Lord of Blades is actually a gnome wearing a mech suit. That's 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 my twist. On- What's with you guys and gnomes? Oh, because gnomes are fucking bullshit, and that is a bullshit way to run the Lord of Blades. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. I wouldn't even do that. Uh, you would no, I would not that. even do that. No, would. I wouldn't. I would. I wouldn't. I would not do that. His advisor. You're just a maybe, bad person. But okay. Uh, so my campaign idea is the dragon marks are not from dragons; they're from aberrations. And you know the swirling, interesting, uh, evolving dragon marks in the way that these these tattoos or birthmarks uh, seem to evolve and move. It's uh, because they're actually um, like tapeworms, but at the skin level. They're, Yucky. They're literally parasites that are leeching the magic from people. Y- Yucky. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the aberrations bring them to life and it murders the 12 houses. All of a sudden the 12 noble houses are gone. And what would that do to the world of Eberron? You just like to take a thing. And break That it, is beautiful. And then just flip it upside down yeah. and have your way with it. Yeah. And then hit it with a hammer. Yeah. And then be all like, put it back together, please. I need this again. Yeah. No, 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 no. This is when, when honestly, this campaign idea is for 
when your group has played three or four major campaigns in Eberron and they know how it all works and they're familiar with all the houses and like this is subverting the overall idea of it, right? It's okay, to be fair, it's not a great starting campaign in Eberron, like getting used to the world by breaking it is not a good way of going about it. Um it's you not know, a terrible way though. No, I mean that that's true, but Part of the reason why everyone agrees to play in Eberron is to get on the monorails, uh, is to go ride dinosaurs and fight in the deep jungles and climb the, the Warforged Colossus. And if none of that shit matters because, because there's anarchy and chaos, we already have a world of refugees. Yep. Um, we don't need to do it again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, until you have stabilized it. And I think it takes place within 30 years of the beginning of the last war. And it's been over for like eight years. Oh, geez. I can't remember what, what the actual timeline is, but it's very short. Very yeah, soon. I yeah. thought it was like four years kind of thing since the end of the last war. I think it's a little bit longer in, in fifth edition just to allow the Warforge and the changelings and whatnot to kind of establish small little shanty towns in, in some areas, take over small districts of, Kind of like a little Italy kind of feel. So, um, the very last thing that I want to do before we wrap this up is, um, normally I say, hey guys, any final thoughts? Dave, what's the best thing that has ever happened in an Eberron campaign for you specifically? When you think of your adventures in Eberron, what is the thing that you think of first? You guys didn't see, you got this wistful look in his eyes, small smile. So, so I got a few. Um, <laughs> what's the one? You need the one. Uh, I, I, I actually have one. Okay. let's. I want to hear Dave's, though. Dave can go first and last. You get two. Uh, one of my favorite ones, just from a DM standpoint, is I had them fighting against the Emerald Claw, and they had their changeling guy that they kept fighting back and forth. The guy's name was Garrow, and they knew it. G-A-R-R-O-W. And then they were traveling on an airship, and their airship got intercepted by another one, and they crashed into each other, and the elementals got free, and they were fighting, but the ships were crashing to the ground, and they were trying to figure out what was going on. But the bad guy that flew the ship into the other one was Reg Rao, and the ship was the Jade Talon. And it just went completely over their heads. They had no idea what was going on. And I, just, I felt like I was just hitting them over the head with just, hey guys, this is what this is. You know, make this happen come on, please. And just, they couldn't. And they couldn't was, figure out that the Jade Talon was the Emerald Claw. Yeah. And that Ragrow was, was Garrow. Like, it's just, it's, it, they can be so smart. And then they can be so stupid. And I love it. <laughs> we should do an episode in the future on dropping clues. Because, fuck. I just spoke for every DM. Yeah. Right? Like, my God. That has got to be one of the most frustrating or cathartic things in Dungeons and Dragons. So, Dan, what was your... Um, we had, uh, in my Friday night group, we did a short Eberron campaign way back when. And one of my favorite memories is actually a character. And it's the character my buddy Russ played, who was a Velociraptor riding halfling. I remember this. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I vividly recall one battle. We had set up this long, it was like a, uh, the Giant's Causeway. Is that a thing that seems to stick in my mind? Giant's it, Causeway is a literal thing in Ireland. Yes. Oh, well, no, I know that. But uh, the there was something along that, like an ancient 
giant's road that we were fighting on. Yeah, there there was a, a large, just a, a typical road, but it was very it was it was giant. massive, right? And I just I I just remember Russell, uh, who is not known to really engage with the role playing side of things um, all that much, um, but I just remember Russell's eyes lighting up as he sees this perfect opportunity for him to hop on his velociraptor with his one hand in the range shooting down these uh i think we were fighting kobolds at the time um kobolds with this character and he just absolutely destroyed everything i was playing a half work of course i was at the time and i just remember me sitting back and just watching the carnage of this velociraptor riding halfling just destroying town and like the velociraptor would jump on a cobalt rip its head off as you know he's straight up ramboing another one it was it was glorious to witness and every time i think of uh eberron i think of russell's halfling in that in that in that uh moment the thing that i remember in eberron that the big thing that stood out for me is is we started our eberron campaign on a ship not a flying ship a ship ship and we ended up um, running into uh, the the water elemental, got free, and we ended up fighting it. But we were level like three. And um, do you guys remember this? No, no. Uh, and the ship crashed, like what well, crashed into a water elemental, and the water elemental fucked it up. And a bunch of us, including the three of us and your brother Dan, yeah, um, we all ended up uh, trying to swim for safety and getting beset upon by sharks. And like that's the thing about Eberron; it's high octane every single turn. But the thing that I remember most about it was that we lost our barbarian because the fucking warforged just walking along the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, he sank. It just like yeah, he just he just sank and walked rest because. The weight of a Warforge was a very specific thing in 3.5 as well. And so he was walking on the bottom of the ocean. We're all sitting there fighting for our lives. There's blood in the water. And and does this spell work if you can't breathe and shit like that? Meanwhile, Dave is sitting in the corner going, I walk again. My full movement. And that was it, right? It's a, <laughs> well, we finally like pulled ourselves. And a couple of people died. This was session one, and we knew that there's a good chance that you may have to bring in a second character. A couple of characters died. A couple of big NPCs didn't make it. Um, and we all washed up on shore in desperate need of a long rest. And we're looking around, and we can't find Dave's character. And suddenly he just kind of, like, emerges from the waves Aquaman style and just kind of, like, walks out of the water, dripping wet, and says, That was fun. What next? What are we doing now? Should we continue on the mission? And we're all like bleeding poorly. And th- like that's that's what I remember from Eberron is just we never took the foot off the gas, and it was so unique you would never get that in another yeah in in another D and D setting. So, anyways, Dave, you said you had lots. Do you have another one that you wrap us up with? What you got? Yeah, I mean, the one you just brought up reminded me of another one that I did with a group of my friends. We were on a ship. I was DMing, and it was a ship that was manned by Drow. And, I mean, it was a bit of a stretch, but these guys were supposed to be their friends. But they came on, and they were all cocky and combative, and they ended up getting themselves captured. And the, as players do, yeah, as they do, and I'm just I'm trying to work this whole like I'm I'm not telling them that they're supposed to be friends, but I'm trying to hit them over the head with it as well. 
and uh, they talk their way into an even bigger mess. They get thrown into the brig, and I say, and all your stuff got taken. And they go, oh, like, all of our stuff? Like, no, just, like, your weapons. Okay. And uh, so one of them goes, well, I have a, I have a cloak of many things. Uh-huh. Do I still have that? Well, I didn't say you didn't, so yeah. Oh, okay, well, it's got a patch on it that allows me to make a window anywhere. I throw it on the hull of the boat and I smash it. And, of course, the boat filled with water and killed all of their supposed-to-be friends. And they managed to escape to safety. And it completely derailed But by escape everything. to safety, they got shipwrecked on an island or something. Uh, safety, in quotes, right? Yeah, like, okay. D&D safety? Yeah. But it was just... <laughs> the least safe thing what, out there. <laughs> what are you... Come on, guys. Like, yeah. It was one of the big derailing moments of my DMing. But, but the thing is, now, when you and I spoke, Dave... Uh, you and I have spoken at length about different D&D campaigns that we've been running. And um, just to kind of wrap this up, you play in my Tuesday group, and it's an evil campaign. And it's pretty uh, chaotic. There's there's very little um, through thought from one session to another. It's just what random crazy shit are we getting up to this week? Yep. Because it's like herding fucking cats. If you allow your players to be evil then you are going to have a bad time. Mm-hmm. However, when you and I first started talking, I said, Dave, what do you want out of your character? What do you build? And I started talking to you about role play ideas. You're like, I don't do that. I have like the character that I like, but I don't do the exploration heavy. When I'm DMing, you, in your words, you said, um, I go combat, 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 combat. It, unless there's a plot point, I'm just going to let you get on your horses and ride to the next town. Yes, you want your rations next. Here we go. Combat. Right? And Eberron really freaking suits that kind of theme. Yeah, you can keep it different. It's not just raiders on the road attack or your camp is... It's goblins again. Yeah, no, no, it's not that. It's you have airships crashing. You have fights on top of lightning rails. Uh, I think there is... Uh, a wagon that's imbued with an earth elemental that lets it travel at lightning speed across the ground. Like, it's just... And, that, and those are just modes of transportation. And we haven't got, like, we, sure, there's velociraptors, but you can ride pterodons, right? Like, you can be on flying dinosaurs, too. That was actually part of the the lightning rail part that we had. We had halflings on dinosaurs throwing javelins at people on top of the train who oh were also fighting on the train. Oh my god. Do like a good old fashioned spaghetti western stage coast heist. Just on a lightning rail. Yeah. Yeah. With like pterodons like pulling things up. Oh, I love uh, yes. Yes please. But this this is the kind of crazy batshit because you're mixing genres and you don't have to if you're just that kind of party that wants to play the tactics that wants to play the mechanics that's like hey yeah my guy super edgelord sits in the corner we go into the tavern and he pouts and he smokes a reefer and then sits there and that's it what are we doing after my long rest and that's your version of role playing which is legit for some for some parties eberron suits you there is so much shit out there just just there you can really Never, ever, ever have downtime. Or you can have nothing but downtime because you can investigate what's going on at the newspaper and the corruption behind the, the, the headlines that are being released. And like, there's, there are so many different aspects to Eberron. There's so many different aspects to Corvair 
or Sharn, or one single district in Sharn, or a single noble house in a district. No matter how micro or macro you get on this, there's batshit crazy adventures to be had across the board. And that's what I love about Eberron. So, that's it for this week's episode. You can find us uh, on iTunes and Spotify and uh, dozens of other podcast apps. You can also find us at www.itsamimic.com or you can email us at info at itsamimic.com. We want to say thanks again for listening to the It's a Mimic podcast. It's been a fuck of a good year. And we're looking forward to making it even more of a better fuck next year. (laughs) Dan is twitching. (laughs) So make sure to check us out next week when we are covering part one in our discussion on elves. Okay, so we've talked about dragon mark tattoos. If you guys could have like some sort of magical tattoo, what what power would you would you want out of a magical tattoo? Not a dragon mark, just like your tattoo can do this crazy magic shit. What would it be? Oh, roll initiative. Don't roll high. Don't roll high. Shit, I won. <laughs> um. <laughs> I would hit the tattoos to stop time to do all that fucking editing and the life shit I gotta do in my life. Okay. Just a moment to just stop time. Like, okay, I have a free six hours. Let's do this. And slowly the pigmentation would kind of fade. And I would know I'm getting close to the end of the time stop when the, it's starting to get grayscale. And then, okay, tattoo's gone. And now the regular life starts. I feel like that would just create a panic for you in the last, like, five minutes of however long it <laughs> Oh, yeah, 100% it will. But the, 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 that, you know, five hours and 55 minutes would be so glorious. <laughs> I'd come down here, I'd play video games. I don't know. Like, I, I would just go read a book for four hours in utter silence. I want you to know that I would use all of that time myself for just prepping. I would just prep things. I would I would still be doing more podcast shit. My children will be upstairs screaming their heads off, and I would just be like, all right, five hours. Now, now's the time. Just stop. Okay, look around, make sure I'm, I return to this chair, and then go and just have five hours of silence. That That's what mine would be. That's a little bit too real, but still. <laughs> Dave? I, I've, I've got a far less practical view. First of all, when you first brought it up, I immediately thought of the, the reboot button. You know, this like the... You nice. Tap it. Nice. And, you know, like you transform into like battle mode or whatever. Yeah. That's just how you get dressed in the morning. It's like, ah, oh, not this one. Reboot. No, not this one. Reboot. This is a very like Canadian-centric reference as well. Yeah, yeah. Americans listening to this, if you don't know about the 3D animated show from the early knots, late 90s called Reboot... Go watch it. It is brilliant. They rebooted Reboot. And it's terrible. Yes, it was live action. If you see a live action reboot, turn around and run away. It's bad. Just watch the thing. I'm so glad I missed that one. Anyways, was that your thing, Dave? I I mean, that'd be kind of cool. It would also be nice to just, you know, thinking outside the box, teleport. It's like, I don't want to deal with traffic today. Screw that. Okay. And you just like tap, tap the tattoo and poof, you teleport. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Whatever you're thinking in that moment. 
You see, for me, all right, so there's a little known and utterly goddamn ridiculous DC villain called Tattoo Man, where he, in early days, would just like, if you had a tattoo of a tiger, he would grab the tattoo off of his skin and throw it, and the tiger would become real. Uh, wasn't he in that really terrible Daredevil movie? No, because that's Marvel, but... So, there's your answer. But but there was a guy who did that in the Marvel, in uh, the terrible Daredevil, or maybe it was the Electra movie. It might have been the Electra movie. I never saw the Electra movie because I, I knew by the trailers not to watch that. Yeah, like this guy's like snake tattoos were coming off and Electra was fighting them. Anyway, so... Um, but that gave me the inspiration like two years ago for magic tattoos in my own campaign. Um, but the idea of being able to store things. And so we had, uh, Dave, you don't know this, but in, in my campaign with Dan and everybody on Sundays, they actually, uh, the very first day, the very first session, they got magical tattoos from, quote unquote, the artist, who was a dwarven mage, who sat there and added all these tattoos on, and they essentially used their own skin as a bag of holding. So they're able to say, like, oh, I don't have any weapons. Well, they've got, like, the tattoo of their crossbows on them. The thing is that you can pop it out as, a, as an action once a day. Or it's a bonus action. Bonus action, day. yeah. Um, in or out. Once a day. And if it gets destroyed, you don't get the tattoo back. And you don't get to add more tattoos. So, Dan broke the entire game by having a tattoo of a bag of holding. Smart. Yeah. <laughs> so. It's a bookshelf. <laughs> so and It has all of the items that are in it written on the bookshelf. I like that. That's, yeah. That's good. That's good. But I thought that was a really cool way of getting around, like, a, a new kind of bag of holding. Yeah. Which is exactly what that is. Just like the tattoos of the shit that you own. I especially love that our Black is Night... Um, Black Dragonborn Necromancer has a Black Nightmare tattooed on her somewhere that nobody can see. That nobody can see. Yeah, it's her mouth. Is is the, yeah. is a nightmare, right? So, oh no, 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 no. She is a nudist in our freaking campaign too. Yeah, and nobody can see this tattoo. Okay. Yeah. So the point of this entire question was to get around to the fact that there's not enough nudity in Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> Dan is still finding random pages of awesome campaigns. The Lords of Dust sound badass as hell. This is what I'm talking about. Everything you touch in Eberron is freaking amazing. I desperately want to play a Warforged cowboy who, like, walks into town. Like, Artificer. We started. I don't like Eberron. Warforged oh, crowd. But, 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 but just, like, walks in. He's Audi. the book. Yeah, Audi, yeah. partner. Oh, no. His name is Spurs. Yeah. <laughs> I love his dose in his holster. Like, yeah, I, yeah I, I'm all about He's, it. Or, or simply badge. <coughs> and, and it looks like the star, right? Yeah. Oh, I want to play this character so bad. Thank you for listening to an It's a Mimic production. <laughs> okay, you're done. Get it. <laughs>